0: Welcome
1: to Burn the Haystack with Josh and Jesse. I'm Jesse. And I'm Josh. And this is a podcast is all about saving the best and burning the rest. And not dwarves. Definitely not dwarves. No dwarves in sight. Unfortunately. Uh, the This podcast's stance against dwarves is mostly anti, but open. <laughs> we don't want to be completely closed off to the prospect of dwarves, Josh. Prospect? Was that like a pun? Because they're miners? You know what? miners, children, they're small, no. but with beards. <laughs> you took my pun, unintentional, and then I took your unintentional pun, and I expanded upon it.
0: Wow. True. We were just having a great chat about Lord of the Rings, so hence why I brought up Dwarves. Yes. And, uh, yes. It's just I, they're,
1: my, they're like my favourite out of the whole Lord of the Rings thing. They're yeah? Just, yeah, I love them. Elves are cool, but Dwarves just- Dwarves are great. It's just got a great vibe. One of my favourite video games of recent memory is a game called Deep Rock Galactic, which is a- Okay, cool. Which is a game where you play space Dwarves and you're mining in space. It's like a cooperative game where you can go into this almost Minecraft-esque cave system.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And there's beasties, and there's rare metals and gems and stuff that you have to harvest, and it's just a good time. That's really cool. It's all procedurally generated. Uh, It's it's fantastic. Wow, I like that.
0: Yeah, I just like the I just like that they're carrying big hammers or big axes. Yeah,
1: just just. It's a good time.
0: Yeah. This isn't a podcast about dwarves. So. Maybe that'll be our sequel podcast. Uh, yes.
1: Uh, all right, yeah, maybe we should, start a, we should just start a really geeky podcast. We talk about all this stuff around the podcast, and then we go eventually, oh, we should actually talk about the real stuff when <laughs> all we actually really want to talk about is this geeky stuff. And this is just our indulging.
0: <laughs> yeah. So thanks for joining us on <laughs> Us <laughs> Indulging not talking about dwarves in this podcast and next episode we won't talk about elves
1: <laughs> hobbits dragons uh- actually on a serious note though we oh, the reason okay. no the reason that we were talking about dwarves was because we were talking about a podcast that both of us have been listening to yes. called Beast and Bible yes by Dr. Seth Pierce who is a great Adventist academic and is runs a great podcast we just recently listened to the episode that he did on the satanic panic and dungeons and dragons and all that sort of stuff which i can genuinely recommend i think it's a it was a fantastic episode and i think it's a fantastic podcast
0: all of his episodes are so well done but yes would highly recommend great show just so helpful for so many things so yeah anyway that's why that came up great link into the actual content of the show it was relevant the whole
1: time but no one realized <laughs> So today we are doing a part two on the study that we started a conversation on last episode about the last twenty years of church. History is probably not the right, but trends. Trends. What's yep. been
0: going on? You almost went into that like nineties right? Narr- you know the like the nineties for movies? There was that same narrator. Yeah.
1: It's like oh. In a world. Only one man will stand up to tyranny. <laughs> And do what is right.
0: Yeah. I love those ads. I actually saw an ad with, I don't know, I reckon it's coming back. Mm. I reckon it's coming back. You reckon? I reckon. That's my right, your next, prediction. Because movies have been going downhill. They're not performing mm. as well. People aren't as interested. And I think what we really need is commercials with the 90s narrator back. <laughs> and that will solve all, <laughs> all the
1: problems with movies. Yeah. Yep. Anyway. Well, if there are any film producers listening to this, you heard it here first, folks. I'm an expert on this. Yeah. Tell, give Josh a call. <laughs> He'll be able to sort out your next summer blockbuster hit. You're welcome, world. All right. Excellent. Josh, let's get back on track. We talked last episode about a bunch of things. Heaps, yes. I know there were a lot
0: of stats, and so some of you are really into analytics and stats, and so I'm sure you were loving it. Others were finding it hard to track along with. But I just, whether it's the stats or the things that we talk about in between the stats, I just feel like everybody's got something we can learn about the church through this. We got a few more stats today, but today, I guess it's a little bit more of a positive note. The last one was maybe a bit more critical of the church, a bit more, I don't know, critical.
1: Just say, here are some of the problems that the trends are showing, some issues. Yeah, this is the way that the study is divided up into, we have the stats that probably, and the trends that, that probably cause causes for concern or things to watch out for. And then the later half of the study is all about, the title is called Trends That Offer Hope.
0: Woo!
1: Um, yeah, The positive guy. i excited <laughs> about the, the last third of this study. Look, I will say that in my reading of the last half, there are actually a few trends and a few stats that are still a little bit on the negative side. But I think- we have to keep it all in context about what we're talking about here. So, look, this is the part where we get to be a bit positive because as much as there are some things going on in the church in the last 20 years that are concerning, that maybe should be a wake-up call for some of us, there are also some good things happening. And so, we shouldn't neglect that. And mm-hmm. so, that's what we're going to talk about right now. Yeah. Should we dive in? Let's do it. Yeah. Awesome. So, the first-
0: is congregational diversity and strength of that diversity. In America, it's gotten a lot more diverse over the last 20 years, just as a country. Same with Australia. And for us, we see this, I think this stat's very relevant. And the positive note is that they, in this study, in the first survey in 2000, found that 12% of faith communities were multicultural. And 20 years later, they found that's risen up to
1: 25%. So it's more than doubled.
0: Yeah, which is awesome. I think the diversity of congregations is actually matching that of their, I don't know, surrounding culture, surrounding society, which is really good because in a nutshell, and this is a big thing that I would love to see more of in our Adventist communities, is that any church community should actually correlate to its surrounding
1: community. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah. your,
0: your church should actually, I don't know. But yeah,
1: If your community is 30% European, 20% Filipino, 40% African-American, et cetera, then the church should represent those statistics within a certain, a certain amount.
0: I want to know where in Australia is 40% African-American. That would be pretty cool. It would be pretty cool. <laughs> and very surprising. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I get what you mean. Yeah. And so that's, that actually leads, that means that your church is actually a healthy part of your community, basically. Correct
1: and not just a bunch of people driving from half an hour to an hour away to come to a church that has no relevance to your local community.
0: Yeah, or is only reaching one small part of your local community.
1: It's interesting to note on page 21 that they note the reality, and I think this is probably a challenge that we can discuss a little bit. There has been a rise in Christian nationalism and white nationalism, especially in America. I don't know that is necessarily proportionate to Australia. I don't think it is. Um, But there is a significant challenge in uh, Christian nationalism and churches that seem to be prioritising white Europeans over other cultural groups. And whilst this is a challenge, I think that it's probably encouraging that the stats are increasing for racial cultural diversity, despite that challenge.
0: Yes. And here's the big thing the big takeaway from this is the very last sentence on page 21 it says that diversity correlates to increased growth, spiritual vitality, a clearer sense of mission and purpose, and other attributes to a flourishing community. So basically, if your church is diverse, that is going to be a huge, like, huge leg up on just being a healthy church community. Which is awesome! How great is that? This is the whole thing about the gospel is for everybody. This is what Jesus came to create is a like multi, what is it? I don't know, multi-ethnic group of people who basically yeah. people who just come around not based on their nationality or political stance, but just based on Jesus and his teachings and following the way of Jesus. That's yeah. exactly why in Antioch, people didn't know what to call the group of Christians. People didn't know what to call any of these people who followed the way of Jesus because they weren't just Jews. They were Jews, Gentiles. They were everybody. And so the only name they could come up with was Christians, people who follow Christ or like little Christs.
1: (laughs) They're like, we don't know what else to call you because you're just a whole stack of different peoples. And I'm like, that's beautiful. That's what I want the church to look like today. It's good. So I think, yeah, this is probably a big highlight for me is this cultural diversity. And obviously there's lots of challenge in trying to navigate different cultural groups within a, a faith community. But I think that as Josh, you've just pointed out, it's so worth doing because this is, yeah, this is what the church is. This is what the church always has been. And this is what the church should be Mm -hmm. in the future. Yeah. So one thing that actually did surprise me, and maybe this is my Adventist showing, (laughs) is technology, the embrace, the embracing of technology and innovation.
0: I had a feeling that's where you were going to go when you said (laughs) that thing. (laughs) (laughs) I was surprised by this too. Okay.
1: So basically the stats are telling us that even before the pandemic, which I think is probably the stereotypical point that most of us would assume is where churches embrace technology Mm -hmm. out of sheer necessity, apparently they say even before the pandemic, there was a rising trend of churches and faith communities using technology more than they had before or more than that was accepted further in the past. Mm.
0: Yeah. It was super encouraging. I mean, you see in the thing, like live streaming had a huge spike. But yeah, all the rest is a pretty, I don't know, pretty normal looking, like a pretty like healthy looking trend. I thought that was really great to see. I don't know if we as a denomination were, if we were uh, in the same, <laughs> if we fit this median. I don't know. Yeah. I think when I think back, I think I guess over the last 20, 20 years, like definitely some churches were, Pretty on the ball and trying to get websites, get social, get get onto social media platforms when they came out. But definitely, definitely now it's accelerated a lot. Like I
1: feel like a lot of churches are just trying to
0: like whatever's coming out. They're actually paying attention to, which is great.
1: I think one of the reasons why we're seeing this trend is the financial aspect of it, because they talk about in the last little part of that section how um, the churches who embraced online giving and just technology in general, but online giving is a large component of that, saw an increase in giving by regular participants by by a scale of $300 per person annually. So, I think it makes total sense to embrace technology if you're getting more out of your attendees financially. You can raise more money, which I guess it's not like confirmation bias, but in a way there's confirmation biases. Yeah, this seems to be working, so we'll just keep doing it. Yeah. Yeah, that's
0: true. And it just it means you can just have that's what they call the, the paragraph is like sustained financial health. Like really like in today's day and age, a lot of ministry costs money. And you gotta make it easy for people to feel like they can invest in your church's ministry and some people have More time to give. Some people have more energy to give, and some people don't have any time or energy, but they might have money to give. They want to see it happen, so making that like accessible to people is an important part of church life. Not that, and this is can be big. We haven't really talked much about finances, like when we've done gone over this study, but we have to be realistic. It, It is a thing, and it's not like churches are. Some churches. Just want money. But (laughs) I like to think most churches like money is just a necessity to do what they really want to do. It's not really like the end goal is just getting lots and lots of money.
1: Yeah. No, definitely. And look, we could spend some more time talking about this, but I don't know if that's necessarily relevant to our context, given the differences in financial structure that we deal with in the Adventist church. The thing that I think is probably interesting in all of this, and it relates to money a little bit, but I think it more relates to that openness to change is spiritual vitality on mm. page 26. So, there's a really interesting progression from 20, from 2000 going down to around, I think, 2015. There is a dip between 2000 and 2015 of average spiritual vitality. Churches saying that we are, quote unquote, spiritually vital and alive, and in the 15 years between 2000 and 2015, it's a steady downward trend.
0: Mm.
1: However, in the five years between 2015 and 2000, it starts to go up again. Mm. Very weird trend. I don't necessarily see how the correlation between COVID and pre-COVID has yeah. to do with it. I Do wonder what the trajectory of churches are in. I do wonder what the trajectory of what was happening in churches in the evangelical world between 2000 and 2015 has to do with the spiritual vitality of said churches. Pre COVID, obviously, there were a number of very large profile church leaders who were publicly humiliated things coming out about impropriety and abuse and all that sort of stuff. I wonder if that has something to do with it. But whatever the case may be, it seems to be on the rise. And it's hard for me to kind of gauge whether this is an upward trend or whether this is a plateauing trend, because this is just the first time that's gone back up since just going down it has been going for 15 years it was going down yeah overall spiritual vitality yeah like it
0: slowed but it was going down yeah which is yeah i just don't know why i wonder why that would be there's a bunch of these congregations were growing and flourishing yeah but yeah it seems that they just felt that they weren't experiencing spiritual vitality and I guess I can have lots of ideas about what that doesn't actually say. What, like, there's no reading into the data no. for this part,
1: which is like, well, oh, they, don't, they don't do it for you, definitely.
0: Yeah. And so I wonder, I don't know, maybe there's a part in this that I missed that I need to read, but I wonder if maybe part of this at least is this comes from like unhealthy comparisons. During this time, you see the rise of the rise of the megachurch, really, from 2000 or even the 90s. So, I wonder if churches kept looking out and seeing all these mega churches popping up and being like, oh, they're spiritually experiencing spiritual vitality. We're not. So, we need to do
1: better. And I guess- oh, another, like, maybe, a, maybe that's part of it. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I, I guess it could make sense if the majority of churches are small. Mm. So, depending on how the data was recorded, if there's a disproportionate number of smaller churches who responded to this versus people in larger churches, mm. I'm not sure.
0: Yeah, I also wonder what it means, what they think it means to be. Yeah, like so, a congregations s- strongly agreeing that they are spiritually vital and alive. Spiritually vital. What does it mean to be spiritually vital? That's
1: a good question.
0: I'd love to actually. I'd love to even hear from our listeners. Like, if I was to ask you, is your church spiritually vital? Like, how would you answer? And what would you think that
1: means if I asked that? Yeah, it's interesting. It says here, one of the attributes tied to thriving is whether a congregation affirms that it is, quote, willing to change to meet new challenges, unquote. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, so I guess there's a necessity component to that where the pandemic forced us to Mm. try different things. Uh, I know that for some churches that increased spiritual vitality because people were forced to do different things and forced to meet in different ways, and and so I guess I think that brought a level of excitement and novelty yeah. potentially to but the people
0: thing. People just looking around, oh, we're tackling this. We're doing it uh, pretty good. Yeah. Like, yeah.
1: It will be interesting to see what this trajectory looks like in 2025
0: to 2030. Yeah, it will be.
1: Yeah. Um, <laughs> I wonder if we're still going do this podcast in 2030. That's a long time away. Gosh. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah. It will be so old. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Interesting. Uh, so next there's the possibilities for revitalization so
0: i love this i like have this whole like marker thing on my <laughs> life because i think it's so cool yeah anyway yeah, yeah this is gonna be great
1: <laughs> yeah the question that is trying to be tackled in this section is the a sort of a way forward we've heard a lot of stats we've heard a lot of trends but what is the results of the survey as far as the best path forward um and it's this is i think what i was referencing when i was saying there's a little bit of uh, negativity in this as well i'll just read a little bit of this there is no denying quote that the overall tone of the 2020 findings are Rather dismal. That's their words, not mine. <laughs> but you do wish it was your word.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Such a great word to use. When do we ever get mm, to use
1: dismal, right? Yeah, so good. Yeah. The results portray steady decline, shrinking participation, and aging organizations. However, this does not need to spell despair and hopelessness. Many of these congregational trends indicate the need for change. Yeah, it says, oh, and then they say, Following the past months of creativity and adaptation, now is the perfect time for moving beyond the stayed. I've never yeah,
0: that's heard a weird... that word.
1: Anyway, stayed routines of the past, which this data shows were not working very successfully anyway, which is interesting. Um, in the midst of all the unsettledness, now is the ideal moment to sustain the efforts toward innovation, celebrate coming back together in person as faith co- communities but do it with the commitment to come back better than before. Ooh, good. I wish that I'd read this back in 2020. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I think that they're, they're pretty spot on here. The fact that I feel like I keep saying, but nobody else really wants to grapple with, is the fact where they, where, is that part where they talk about how the data shows that the routines of the past were not working very successfully anyway. So, Mm. there's obviously, that's obviously up to interpretation of what systems do you mean? Mm, True. We could go into each component and pick apart. Actually, this one seems to be working fine in my context. That one's not so good, but I think that the long and short of it is that there is, or maybe was a moment to do things better. And I'm not going to say that moment's gone, but I do think that the trend that I've seen at least is to move back to the way things were.
0: As in the trend you've seen is that churches want to move back
1: to how it was? I think but- there's a comfortable pair of shoes that we want to put back on. Oh, yeah. That's what I'm seeing. Uh, we've talked about this before, I know. Okay. Uh, and I know that you don't necessarily agree necessarily and I know that you don't necessarily agree with all of that, but I think that's how I feel. Yeah, no, that's fair. Um, I think it is.
0: I, I think I still hear a lot of the rhetoric that people are like, I just want to go back to, and I'm just.
1: There's an enamorment, I think, with a simpler time. Yeah. Back when things weren't so complicated. Yeah. When were things not complicated? <laughs> I don't remember that time. No, <laughs> I mean, when I was a kid, life yeah. wasn't complicated,
0: but. Yeah, what if things had not been complicated for the church? I don't know. Yeah. Maybe there was a time. Tell us Uh, about it, anyway. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. But the I guess the cool thing is, and this is how the... And I feel like, personally, if you really wanted to read this, but you don't want to read all of it, I think the big take-home is this last two, three pages,
1: because it has this... It gives you everything you need to know, I think.
0: I I think so, too. And people are going to be like, why don't you just make an episode on just these last two pages and... (laughs)
1: Because content, Benjamin. <laughs> it's Benjamin. He knows.
0: <laughs> you know who you are, Benjamin. All right. In short, congregations that are growing and are spiritually vital are more likely to, and then it has these few dot points. And these are a few. Yeah. I can't count. Eight? Yeah. Oh, There's a bunch. And then after this, it goes into details. But we're just going to, I think we're just going to go through each one and just, yeah. we just riff on them. Right. Cool. So, the first one, congregations that are growing and are spiritually vital are more likely to have strong leadership that fits well with participants. What do you reckon of that
1: one? I think this is talking about the fit between leadership and and the church itself. We've all seen this, a church minister or a church leadership team or a board that is just completely out of step with the way that the church is. And there's very little that you can do effectively. We, Well, actually, I should say, there's a few things you can do effectively, but they're probably not very good for the church <laughs> in a situation like that. You know, a, a church minister and a church leadership in general, not to assume that every faith community has a, a minister necessarily, uh, really needs to understand what their people are all about, to understand the points of growth that they need and the areas of passion that they're most likely to be able to engage them in. Yeah, that's, I think, absolutely spot on.
0: Yeah, it's like a congregation, every congregation has different needs and different kind of personality. And it's just, if we were gonna make a hardware analogy out of this, it's like a congregation has screws that need screwing in, but they get a hammer instead. And the hammer's trying to beat the screws in and it's just making damage. Like it's their style or like all of a sudden they don't get a hammer anymore. They still need a screwdriver, but then they get a pair of pliers. You're like, okay, that's not helpful for this particular job (laughs) right now. And so we need that that good leadership that fits well, like in the situation, the people. Pretty hard to, I think it's a bit hard to nail. (laughs) Father, (laughs) father. Anyway, sorry. Um, But how do you absolutely, and that's, I think one area of our, of our church that is both like of our church structure that's both a strength and a weakness with we a big pool of leaders. But then we have this even bigger pool of churches and all of these leaders need to fit with these churches. It's like, how do you match that perfect? But with a, a congregational model, you have a smaller pool of leaders to pick from because they're only from your church. So, you, you run
1: into the same problem again. It's what if those leaders that you actually need aren't in that congregation? Where do you find them? One thing I will say is that in that congregational model, oftentimes they'll have what's called a search committee or a selection committee or whatever. And in that sense, I think there's a strength that you can pick people to be on a committee or a team that already get the culture of the church. Whereas in our system, you have usually a conference president or a conference secretary or or a team of two or or more of those conference officials who have to be that for an entire conference, Mm. which is- it's just an impossible job, really. When yeah. you think about it, it's just it's hard. with all the other things that they have to do. It's how do you then perfectly pair a minister with a given congregation? Every congregation, it's just impossible.
0: And every every time, because it has to keep being. There's a know,
1: constant people, shuffling.
0: People move. People retire. Yep. Things happen. Yep. It's just yeah. New churches are born. Yeah. Just, whatever. Like it's a complicated. It's a complicated thing to get right. Yeah. I think in any system, really. Yeah. I, I think ultimately. And there are some Adventist churches that have search communities and that kind of thing to try and help, but that's really sustainable for larger churches. It's
1: a bit harder to do in smaller churches. And I think I'll also say that there are, I think, generally two kinds of ministers in the system. There are ministers that are happy to mould themselves to fit the needs of the congregation, and then there are ministers who expect the congregation to mould to fit them. Interesting. I've seen both and some work better than others and it depends on the congregation. There are some congregations that really need, I think this is going to go into this next point, a strong visionary leader who Mm. can bring them into that exciting new reality to enliven up the congregation. But then there are churches as well who don't want somebody to rock the boat. (laughs) Maybe they might need it, but they don't want somebody (laughs) to rock the boat. And I think that Definitely congregations like that could be good learning experiences for young ministers.
0: Yeah. True. But also, like, sometimes a congregation themselves might not, and maybe I'm being optimistic, maybe I'm being too optimistic about this, but maybe they might not know what they need until they get it yeah. and then they're like, oh, we didn't realize we
1: needed this. Yeah. So, sometimes having that outside pair of
0: eyes is really good too.
1: If you're willing to do the work. True. Sometimes that can be painful. Yeah. But it also can be rewarding potentially. Interesting, yeah. So I guess Mm. it's it's kind
0: of a two part thing because it's like, are the participants willing to work to do the work to fit with the leader, and is the leader willing to
1: do the work to fit with the participants? Yeah, I definitely think the way that both thrive. It's definitely a two way street. Yeah. Um, which leads into uh, have a clear and compelling mission, and I think this is possibly one of the most important points in this entire list because if you don't know what you're all about as a faith community, then how are you gonna accomplish anything of great significance? You might accidentally, but I wouldn't, as a leader, (laughs) wanna leave those things up to chance. Yeah. uh, Because it's just as likely to go the other way. Obviously, this is harder for certain churches. Josh, you and I have both been in those meetings for various churches where we try and do vision casting and then people don't like it, or they don't like the wording, or they wanna just make the mission we want to reach everybody, yeah. and then you end up reaching nobody as a result.
0: Yeah, or it's not even. Sometimes churches really want to run a particular kind of ministry, even though it doesn't necessarily, yeah, fit fit them
1: fit them or fit their community. Correct. It's, somebody's in love with a particular thing, and that it becomes about them in can, a way. It can, yeah, it can.
0: Yeah. It's interesting having that vision and the yeah, vision mission. For it to be clear and compelling, it's pretty exciting. I don't know. Yeah. When you feel like, and this is why often churches will grow and boom when they have to just do something really simple. I've heard of so many churches that they're like, we're going to buy this building. And on the journey to buy that building and build that church, they grow yeah. and flourish because everything is just about buying that building. And it's literally because it's a clear mission. Everyone's just like, oh, mm. yeah, I want you to have that building. Here's 20 bucks, you know, yeah, whatever, yeah, like yeah, whatever yeah. it is. Or, yeah, I can. I want to be a part of that. Let me tell my friends about that. This is what we want to do. And then they get the building and then they're like, great. Now what? And then the church has declined again. I'm like, that's happened. It happens a lot. There's so many studies about it. It's really interesting. Yeah. Lots of books bring up the story. Oh, so, yeah. yeah. But it's true though. And I think I wish we were at really good at coming up with really clear missions, as clear as we're going to buy this building. Imagine if, I don't know. But yeah.
1: Yeah. So I think there's two components to it. There's clear and clarity is super important as we've already discussed. And then there's the compelling part. It's all very well and good to have a mission that is clear, but if it ain't exciting, if it ain't going to bring the people on board, (laughs) then we're going to paint these walls beige. That's our mission. you like, we need, <laughs> I felt cold <laughs> we need to raise called by God. We need to raise
0: a hundred and thirty dollars for paint supplies. <laughs> Who's with me? I'll give a dollar I like beige. I yeah.
1: And I think what this requires is for a minister to be really not just a minister, but the team that they're working with to really put themselves on the altar and be really open to God's leading yeah. and also be prepared for the pain because there'll be a church member who doesn't like it. There'll be people who try to derail the whole discussion. There'll be people who will try and pick holes in the motivations of these people. You know, you got to be ready for those sorts of things. It's not something that you want to take on lightly. Uh, and it's tough. Yeah. It can be really tough. So, yeah, I think that, again, if you're willing to do the work, it's worth it. Yeah. But you got to be willing to do the work. And, and a lot of people aren't willing to do the work. I don't know, I sound like Gary Vee right now, but the truth is it's, it's easier not to do this. It's just easier to have a more anemic version of this and to not really end up accomplishing much of any great significance or mm. do, do great stuff, but do it accidentally, but not well, with I, intention.
0: I think we can be a bit scared to fail, so we don't set a target because we don't, yeah. don't want to fail and disappoint ourselves or our congregation. Yeah, for um, sure. And this is, I don't think this is just the job of the pastor. I think a lot of churches don't have, like in our context, don't have pastors. Like they have maybe a pastor who can be there every two, three weeks or something. Cause they've got two, or like another church or two other churches, whatever. And so sometimes it's just the job of the elders and just to just sit down and vision, dream and just, it doesn't have to be crazy. It can be like, we want to run a free community breakfast on this date. That's what we want to do. And here's what it's going to do. I don't know. I'm just giving you a random yeah. idea. But it like, just has to be clear. And it has to be compelling. That's it. Yeah. Just give it a reason. Yeah. It's amazing how much that can do.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. I think we've gone enough on that one. But
0: I feel like I could talk about it all day. Oh, yeah. yeah. But the next one, I like this one. I getting excited. We've done an episode on this, but to be innovative and open to change. I think this one sounds really hard. Like you might be in a church situation where you're like, there is no chance for innovation (laughs) or openness to change. And as somebody, I like. I don't think I'm the most creative person, but I love just innovating and just trying, even if it's just little new things. And I find if you, I don't know, some churches, you'd be surprised how willing they are to try something new. It just has to be within certain parameters, at least starting out.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I always got a kick out of, as a church pastor, having somebody come up to me and be very excited about a better way to do a certain thing, even if it's really small. Like that is just a great leading moment yeah to be able to encourage that and to push them off and go yes go do that that's amazing really exciting and that that can be infectious that can spill out into different ministries and then soon that can be part of the culture if you are open to it yeah
0: yeah and so there are Yeah, I guess thing like every every congregation has to start somewhere, some and it depends on the size as well. Obviously the bigger a church is, I think the harder it can be to like it's like a bigger boat. Like it's harder to turn the boat because I don't know anything about boats. Why am I using a boat? Like it's
1: the larger a boat is, the harder it is for it to turn. Yes. So there are I literally only know this from like Pirates of the Caribbean movies. There there's a cruise not a cruise liner. There is a cargo ship that is like the longest cargo ship in the world and it takes days to turn like to do it if you were to do a complete 180 i can't remember what it's called i watched a video once interesting um but yeah the more complicated a church is the harder it is for this to happen
0: yeah so small if, churches are
1: an advantage here. i yeah totally agree with that
0: yeah because it can be it can yeah you've
1: only got a you've only really like you might have 10 leaders if it's a small enough church that's all you've got to it's a fra- it's a much more fragile system. You have to be open to change, otherwise the whole thing can collapse.
0: Yeah, and so I think like you can, and so you got you gotta start wherever your church is at and do change. But I think the fact that it the data is pretty clear that churches that are innovative and open to change are just they're more likely to grow and be spiritual spiritually vital. And what that looks like, you know, it doesn't mean that every week you're doing something completely different and random, um, because that's. Having no consistency at all is probably not helpful, no data around that, but I'm just going to make that assumption. <laughs> so I just think, I don't know, it's great to see this actually in data. And now we can say, look, everybody, it's actually <laughs> healthy to be innovative and open to change. And that's, that's the origin of our denomination. Yeah. And every season will require
1: some sort of innovation and openness change to get on top of and to do well. As well as be active in the local community. Yes, and we talked about this already a little bit, be part of the community that you're in. Be Mm -hmm. representative of the community that you're in. Know what your community is all about, what they love, what they hate, the zeitgeist of where you are locally and the needs and try to meet them in whatever small way you can. I think there's a little bit of fear in a lot of church members who don't know what to do. They want to do something, they just don't know how to do it. And I think that it is the job of our leadership in our churches, in our faith communities, to lead by example mm-hmm. um, and to create uh, opportunities. What I will look, this is a bugbear of mine. I will say. A bugbear? Yeah. Okay. Just go on. Go on. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I have preached and I've heard many others preach about how we should be more loving, we should be more active and participatory in our community. But I've recognized. That when I do that and when we do that, oftentimes we never provide the tools to actually make it happen. We just hammer people over the head, tell them what they should be, pack up and go home. And so, what are people left with? They're left with guilt mostly. Yeah, well. uh, Or they just try and push it down and go, oh, well, uh, he's clearly talking to somebody else, not me. (laughs) (laughs) Or or however people process that. But I think that as a church, it is on us to provide the means- by which we actually do this. I know that there are people in every church that just do this naturally, but I don't think that is the norm for the vast majority of your congregation.
0: Yeah. And I would say, again, I would say as a church, we do have, at least speaking into our denomination, we have tools already really well established. For example, I'm very fortunate to be a part of a church that has a school connected to it on the same campus. So we are like by default connected to our community because the community send their kids to our school. And so we have a lot of opportunity for that. But we have other things too that we do, you know, running playgroups and that kind of thing, which is super great. But then in our church as a denomination, we have hospitals. We only have one in Australia. And then, but you know, in other parts of the world, there are more, which are a great way to be a part of the community. And we have like ADRA as well and other organizations. And so there are already things maybe you can look to be a part of that will help you if it's local enough but if there's nothing in your context like you're in the middle of wherever it doesn't have to be complicated it can be like literally it can be as simple as just choosing one day i don't know a sunday and just inviting literally your literal neighbors over for a cup of cup of tea or something yeah. you know how, I mean? how
1: like, easy is that
0: yeah that's that can be the basics of this or maybe there's an opportunity to volunteer at some food kitchen or
1: something, whatever it is, there are really simple. It does not have to be overly complicated. I definitely think that overthinking can often lead to avoidance. Yes. Don't overthink it, keep it simple, start somewhere, and I think you'll be surprised where it can take you. Perfect.
0: Let's move on. Problem solved. All right. (laughs) The next one. Have more vibrant worship that is thought provoking and stimulating. Oh,
1: mm. love it. Yes. I love how they married two ideas together and coupled it with this idea of vibrancy. Vibrancy, I think, again, very good word because it doesn't describe one type of worship or another. Any kind of worship can be vibrant, whether depending on what instruments are being used, doesn't matter. But they've also said that the worship, it is vibrant, but it's also thought-provoking, so it's- it engages the brain, as well as simulating, engaging the senses, the emotions. Yep. I think that's fantastic.
0: Yeah. And like, again, this this isn't about a particular style of worship or particular songs or anything. It's about taking the time to think it through and be intentional about it, I think. And recognizing that worship is actually a legitimate way that people meet and encounter Jesus. Like, that's an important part of the of a church service or a church gathering, worship is actually like the moment for some people. And so let's take some care and actually think, okay, how can we make this? What would vibrant worship look like in our context? Even if it's just the next step of vibrancy, like not, what do we look like a hundred steps down the line? Or like, how do we be like ex-church? What's the next step for us to make it even just a little bit more vibrant? And are there things we can do rather than this being a thoughtless thing of like, Let's just do this one and what how do we make this thought like how do we make this thought provoking and stimulating yeah. I don't know. Yeah, what if we were to light a nice smelling candle during worship? <laughs> you know what
1: I mean? I don't know. <laughs> whatever it is. <laughs> I love what they say they they actually expand this out a little bit and they say in the section under worship that is contextual and creative. Whatever style or approach of the worship should stimulate an emotive and passionate response in participants. These gatherings, the worship music, prayers and interactions should motivate participants to live out their faith every day in expressive ways that demonstrate their spiritual vitality.
0: Yes, that is really good. And how yeah. good's that first sentence? A mission without a strong worshiping community is just a personal cause. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> yeah. Oh, this is a great report. You guys should all read this. <laughs> okay. right. We're going to, to keep moving and we're going to run out of time.
1: Okay. <laughs> yeah. um, we've already harped on this a little bit. Community of participants that represents a diversity of ages, genders, races, and other differences. Yeah. I think, yeah, diversity is always good because whether you like it or not, the community that you live in is diverse in a whole bunch of different ways. Mm. And if your church does not represent that same diversity, then I think it really inunders your ability to speak the message of Christ into the community that you're in.
0: Yeah and i think this it's awesome when this really begins to it can start at the church and when it really builds up and goes all through leadership and then you have a diverse leadership team as well it just it's just so healthy and so good for a church and yeah i this is something that yeah i we have already talked about but it's great again to see that this is something that je- the data is showing that this actually leads to growing and spiritually vital yeah churches
1: Yeah. I think this next one, we could probably spend a bit of time talking on if we allowed it. Be good at incorporating new people.
0: We could talk about this for a while. But yeah, I mean, look, whether your church is, like maybe your church is, I know there's a few people who listen and their church is like a small group. There's other people who go to bigger churches and more conventional churches, traditional, contemporary, whatever it is. We all have to be good at incorporating new people into our communities. We cannot get exclusive. That's just not this, I think we talked about this a bit in the last episode. It's hard when you go to small church. It's hard because everyone's mates. You probably sometimes you've all been at the church together for ten years, twenty, thirty, forty years. So you are like deep friendships, and it can be hard to bring someone new in, and it'll legitimately change the dynamics. But we have to remember this is a this is important. <laughs> this is about people meeting Jesus and having a community around them in meeting and experiencing and living out the teachings of Jesus in their everyday life. Like we have to prioritize allowing new people. To jump in on this, and it comes down to so many factors.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know if you want you to- Well, I think the reality is that your church, no matter what its creed or size or whatever, has a turnover rate. There are going to be people who are going to leave your church, uh, whether they get disfellowshipped at the most extreme Whoa. end, or they transfer, they move to a new place, or they just go to a different church, or they pass away. Uh, there are so many factors that influence people moving on from your church. Mm-hmm. And if you can't incorporate new people into your church, then pretty soon there won't be any church at all. And that's what we're seeing in the data. We, that's what we saw, that a lot of these churches established in the 1950s, 1960s on average, aging population, which means that the unless these people are incorporating only people of the same age as them, then- that's bad news for the growth of the church. There are not new people being incorporated into it. And so, I think a lot of it comes down to what we've talked about before. There's openness, there's having a compelling mission. If somebody walks into your church and they don't sense that the church is doing something, going somewhere, I think that affects a lot of people's willingness to stick around. But I think it's also just practical things like systems. Having a system for uh, getting people introduced to your church, teaching your people how to be nice to people who they oh. don't know. Look, there are churches that I've been to where I've had random people just come up to me and introduce themselves out of the blue. Like Literally, I'm standing in a crowd and such comes up to me and then this happened the other day. This old, This elderly lady came up to me and just talked to me out of the blue, very lovely. <laughs> and then she did the funniest thing. She took me over to somebody else who was new. Oh, right. introduced me and then left. Oh, <laughs> which was very sneaky. So I had to take my hat off at, to her for that. But she broke the ice, yeah. for somebody else who actually it was their first time there. So that was even more crucial for them. Mm. But yeah, I think yeah. Incorporating is a good word because it really talks about it, it, describes how people get into the system. Because once you're into the system, it's like you take it for granted. Yeah. But once you, but when you're on the outside of the system, sometimes for certain faith communities, it can be really intimidating, really hard to see how I could ever become part of this. I always feel like I'm on the outside. Mm. So,
0: yeah. Yeah. Which is a, hu- I've talked to so many people who, even after attending a church for years, they can—they'll just—I like, just feel like I'm on the outside. It's, it's tragic. It's so sad. But particularly for new people, we need—we need to be even mindful of like our language, like the amount of times. I remember bringing a guy to church once, no Christian background or whatever, and someone gets up the front and they're like, "New people, are you around?" And he waved, and then they, they were like, "Happy Sabbath" to him, and he was like, leaned over, he's like, what. <laughs> like, what is, yeah. what's a Sabbath? I'm like, oh yeah. yeah, we haven't gotten there yet. Let me, but I was just like, hey, getting new people to wave in some context, it, it could work some context, yeah. but, um, but if they're new, like, why would you start off with happy Sabbath? Obviously, unless you, we expect them to be from other Adventist churches.
1: I think that's part of the problem though. Yeah. If you expect that somebody who's coming to your church is already an Adventist, then... You already lost half the battle, yeah. in a way.
0: They're coming because they've been convicted of the Sabbath. They're already coming uh, half-discipled half yes. or whatever. Right. And I'm like, yeah, like it's- You just can't assume these things. Not maybe back in the day, but definitely not anymore. We talked about a bit about the rise of the nuns before, as in people who tick the
1: nun religion. We have to surveys. expect statistically that most people who are coming into our church fit into that category.
0: Yeah. And so I think this is something like Adventism is getting better at but we need to get better at a lot faster is incorporating people with no Christian background into our communities because that's a whole new thing for us. Like our whole shape of evangelism in the past was aimed at getting other Christians Yes. and whatever.
1: Like, and that's been a big part of our culture. We've just expected that those people are not going to come to our churches, which is really quite sad. Yeah. But that I think is being mostly left behind nowadays Obviously, in pra- not in all of our practices. Yeah, no, I think there's leftovers of that whole thing that is still we still have to grapple with.
0: Yeah. Anyway, lots more we could probably say on that. Sure, we've got two more points,
1: and they go together, I think, in do. a way. I'll
0: read one, and you read the other one. All right. Have significant lay involvement, including contributing financially and volunteering. So. Yeah, lay involvement, meaning, yeah, you've got volunteers. Like, people aren't necessarily – like, it's got to have – any church that's going to be growing and thriving needs to have – and the percentage is going to look different in every community and the number and whatever, but it needs to have some sort of
1: significant involvement from regular people who aren't just paid to do it. And this is part of incorporating people into your church. You can't just incorporate them to become pew warmers. Yeah. If you incorporate them to be involved, to contribute financially – And to volunteer in your ministries, yeah, there's much better sticking rate, I think. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. And then live out their faith commitments in everyday life and tell others about the congregation, which is the dream, right? That's the (laughs) ultimate. We want people to be living out their faith in their everyday life, to feel empowered to do, to not be ashamed, to let people know that they're a follower of Jesus and to be really stoked to tell people about this great church community that they're a part of and that mm. you should totally come to um, yeah. because it's great. And if, they, if the church community has great systems to be able to incorporate them in, that is really good at helping people to navigate this whether, wherever they're at in their faith journey, then you've got a essentially you've got a, uh, what's it called? An exponential growth and health system for your church. Yeah, pretty much. But there is another word, isn't there? But- I'm sure there's another yeah. word. But the point of the fact is that you're creating these systems that then people are buying into and that people are participating in, but you don't have to control or be there holding their hand every step of the way. You can be the, the leader. You can be part of the leadership. You can empower but then you have to give people the trust to be able to go out into their world and to be able to represent Christ well, to represent the church well, and to bring people into the congregation so that you can continue to be more diverse and vibrant and compelling and all these other great things. Yeah. Awesome. That's that, I think.
0: Yeah. We got there. We got there. We're using this whole, <laughs> it's like a 31 page document or something.
1: Yeah. Um, we have read every single word.
0: Yeah, yeah. hey guys, would honestly encourage you to check it out, even if it's just the last few pages. But yeah, it's a really great survey. Faith communities today did a good job. Yeah, looking forward to seeing how it continues to pan
1: out. I think for me, the biggest question is, what are we going to do with this data as a church? And I know not everybody is going to be listening to this and paying attention to the research, but I think that if we are wise... We'll see the trends. We'll see some of the places in which we fit into those categories, yep. some of the places that maybe things are a little bit different. Mm. But I do think that a lot of the conclusions of the survey are probably not rocket surgery. A lot yeah, of them yeah. are like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. We should have been doing that all along sort of thing. But it's about facing it in this new world that we live in now, post-COVID and complications and all that sort of thing. Yep. Yeah. But yeah, I think that it's exciting. And I'm keen to see what we do with these new learnings in the future.
0: Yeah. And hey, reach out to us. Let us know, like something you learned, something that you want to apply in your context, faith context. Yeah. We'd love to love hearing from you guys, whether you send us a DM or reach out and start a new conversation in the Facebook group. Yeah. We'd love to hear what you guys have learned from this. And maybe you loved it. You really missed this was super helpful. Or maybe you thought the whole thing was total garbage. Let us know either way. Yeah, happy with either. Uh, we just started these conversations and hearing what people think. Yeah, looking forward to hearing your thoughts.
1: Yeah. You can reach us on social media, on Instagram and Facebook at Burn the Haystack. There is a Facebook group that you can join if you'd like to be part of the community. Or you can just send us an email at burnthehaystack at gmail.com. And one thing that we haven't really been spruiking recently, but I feel like we should have been, is if you really enjoyed the conversation, leave us a rating or review on your podcasting platform of choice. iTunes tends to be the one that is the most out there. So if you wouldn't mind and you like the content, you can do that. And it's free. It doesn't cost you anything. And it really helps us out. So if you could do that, we'd be much appreciated. Thank you. Awesome. Stay beautiful,
0: everybody. Yeah, we'll talk next time. That is Josh and Jesse out.